Section forty three of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume three continued. Just returned from my visit to Mr. Falkland. What a scene! He wrung my very heart. I would I had never seen him. We found him up and walking about his room, his looks much more composed than they were last night. On our entering his chamber his eyes sparkled with pleasure. He ran to my brother and embraced him. "'Thank you, my dear, dear Biddulph,' said he. "'You at length give her to me, and with her own consent too. My bride,' turning passionately to me and snatching my hand. My brother seemed shocked, and cast his eyes mournfully at mine. Mine moistened, and I was obliged to apply my handkerchief to them, turning my head away. Tears, cried Mr. Falkland, in a tone of surprise, and on our wedding day. I could not bear this. I sobbed aloud. My brother was willing, if possible, to give his thoughts another turn, for not knowing what had passed the day before he thought this was some sudden start of frenzy. My dear Falkland, said he, you affect my sister too much. We have been consulting for your safety and come to talk with you upon it. I think there is no time to be lost, and that you ought immediately to retire into Holland. I am ready, replied Mr. Falkland, but Mrs. Arnold goes with me. I have her promise for it. Sidney shall follow you, answered my brother, making a motion to me to show he would have me humour him in his ravings. I will not go without her, cried Mr. Falkland. The universe shall not part us now. I was almost distracted with apprehension, and I knew not what reply to make. My brother looked confounded and was silent. Mr. Falkland approached me, and with a look of gloomy despair. "'You are both mute,' said he. "'Bidolf, I always thought you loved me. Mrs. Arnold, I hope, did not wish my death. But I am deceived in you both.' I have no farther business with life. The friend I most confided in betrays me. The woman whom my soul worships, and to whom I sacrificed all my hopes of happiness, repays me with ingratitude. Why should such a wretch any longer submit to life? I have borne it too long already. But there's my remedy, pointing furiously to his sword, which lay in the scabbard on a table. I could no longer contain myself, but bursting into tears. "'Oh, sir,' said I, "'accuse me not of ingratitude. I would to heaven my death could repair the heavy afflictions I have brought upon you. If it could, I would welcome it this hour. Your reproaches, cruel as they are, I forgive.' I own myself the unhappy cause of all your misfortunes. We have been mutually fatal to each other. You know I always esteemed and valued you, and have in your calamity already been sufficiently punished for the share I have had in bringing it on you. What shall I say to you, sir? My whole fortune I think too small, too poor a recompense to the man who had obliged me beyond a possibility of return. Yet what have I to offer more? 
can you sir can you urge me to a marriage at so strange a juncture think how it will expose us both to censure your long attachment to me has not been a secret think what dreadful constructions may be put on your conduct nay on mine should a union now take place brought about as it must appear by so terrible an event mr falkland was silent his eyes fixed on the ground my brother took up the argument indeed my dear falkland my sister has reasons for her fears you know i ever was your sincere friend you know too i always was of opinion that sydney ought to have been your wife her former objections i thought were romantic scruples and hardly forgave her refusing you the present obstacle has more weight in it do not mistake me added he hastily seeing mr falkland raise his eyes full of resentment at him i wish my sister still to be yours and will consent to your marriage with my whole heart but let me conjure you to take a more favourable juncture withdraw yourself but for the present your affairs may not be so desperate as you imagine if that villain smith should chance to recover perhaps his conscience may awaken remorse and he may be prevailed on to do you justice in that case you must be cleared from the most distant imputation of what my sister hinted at and what has but too justly alarmed her cleared as your character will then be and conscious as we both are of the innocence of your intentions there will remain no bar to mrs arnold's giving you her hand smith cannot recover interrupted mr falkland suddenly there is no hope can spring from that then answered my brother at worst you can but live abroad all parts of the world are alike to such a philosopher as my sister is and probably circumstance as your marriage will appear she may like best to reside out of england mr falkland shook his head and with a smile of indignation leave me biddulph cried he i cannot bear your attempting to deceive me you think me mad and are cruel enough to endeavour at imposing on me i know my mind is disturbed but who has driven me to despair to madness to death and he cast a look at me that chilled my blood be satisfied madam you will soon be rid of this fatal hated betrayed abandoned wretch he spoke this with his hands grasped eagerly together and his eyes lifted up to heaven then striking his breast he burst into tears and rushing suddenly into his closet he shut the door violently locking it on the inside he wept aloud and his agonies reduced me almost to the same condition with himself i begged my brother would endeavour to prevail on him to open the door for i was fearful of his making some dreadful attempt upon his own life but sir george quieted me a little by showing me his sword which still lay on the table and which at my desire he put out of the way my brother approached the closet door and in the most soothing language beseeched him to open it but he could get no other answer from mr falkland than to beg he would leave him to himself i found this was not a time for arguing 
I told my brother we had better suffer him to vent his passion alone, and that perhaps, when he had had time to reflect a little on what had been said, he would permit his cooler reason to govern him. Sir George was very unwilling to leave him in such a distracted state of mind. He renewed his efforts to persuade him to come out of the closet, but to no purpose. "'I beseech you to leave me, Sir George,' said he. "'I am not in a condition to speak. I cannot bear the sight of Mrs. Arnold. Let me recover myself. Another time, perhaps, I may be better able to discourse with you.' "'Will you promise me, then,' said my brother, "'that you will, in the interim, do nothing that may be injurious to your life or health?' "'Indeed, my dear Falkland, you distress my sister and me more than you can imagine. "'Name the hour when you will permit me to come to you again, "'and for heaven's sake think of your own immediate preservation. "'That, once secured, there is nothing which my sister and I will not afterwards do "'to make you happy. "'Can I rely on you, Falkland? "'Do you promise me not to be rash?' "'You have my sword in your possession,' answered Mr. Falkland, still speaking within the closet. "'I have no other weapon about me. "'Leave me, Sir George, I cannot talk.' "'Say but that you wish to see me again,' replied my brother, "'and I will go, and give you no further trouble.' Mr. Falkland sighed deeply. "'Say I wish to see you,' he repeated. "'Ah, Bidolph!' and his voice seemed choked. My brother could not refrain from tears. I will come to you in the evening, Falkland. You will find me your true friend. I should be loath to lay you under any restraint here in the house of my friend. Do not say there is no need of it. Promise me. The slightest word will suffice. I know my dear Falkland will not break his word. Well... "'I will not attempt my life,' cried he impatiently. "'Let that satisfy you. Leave me, and let me not be exposed to any insults here.' "'I leave you,' answered my brother, "'and hope to find you more composed a few hours hence. "'Mrs. Arnold, too, begs you will be calm and think of preserving a life which is so dear to us both.' Mr. Falkland was silent, and my brother and I withdrew. He thought it best I should not speak to him. Sir George left me at home, and said he would call again on Mr. Falkland in the afternoon, and bring me word how he should find him. My brother is extremely affected with his situation, and says he knows not what to advise. He is fearful that Mr. Falkland's frenzy is not to be calmed, but by consenting to marry him, and circumstance as he now is, that thought is terrible. Yet if I persist in my refusal, I drive the noblest of minds to desperation. Oh, my Cecilia, is this the return I ought to make to the most generous of men, whose fervent love for me has been a constant source of torment to him for so many years? Yet how can I yield him my hand? All my former scruples, weighty as they appeared to me, were light. To the dreadful bar that now interposes. Had that ill-fated woman died the common way, with what joy, with what exultation could I have rewarded his honest, persevering love? All my duties fulfilled, 
obedience to my mother, justice to the woman I thought injured, reverence to the memory of my husband, the respect due to my own character. Should I not, my Cecilia, after thus being acquitted of all other obligations, have been to blame, if after a series of misfortunes all brought on by my strict adherence to those duties, should I not have been to blame for refusing at length to do justice to the most deserving of men? When I reflect on the past, when I survey the present, and my foreboding heart whispers to me the future sufferings of our dear, unhappy Mr. Falkland, all my philosophy forsakes me. I have borne up under my sorrows. His quite subdue me. I must lay by my pen. My eyes are brimful of tears. Ah, my dear, what will become of us? Rash, rash, unhappy Mr. Falkland! He has fled from the house where my brother concealed him. I know not what I am writing. My fears distract me. Tis but two hours since we left him, Sir George relying on his promise and unwilling to provoke him by any appearance of constraint, gave no caution to the gentleman with whom he was lodged to observe his motions. He is ready to kill himself for this neglect, but relying on Mr. Falkland's promise not to make any attempt on his life, he suspected not that he would endeavour to escape. Escape, do I call it? rather let me say to throw himself into certain destruction he is set out on his way for ireland heaven knows what will be the consequence of this if my brother does not overtake and persuade him back he is gone after him my cousin warner with him both rode post my thoughts are so confused i can put nothing in order it seems we had not long quitted him when he called in his servant, that groom who, as I informed you, had come over with him, and telling him he was going out of town, ordered him to go directly to an inn somewhere in the city and hire two post-horses, and that he would follow him presently. The man obeyed, and in about half an hour his master came in a hackney-coach to the place where he had directed him to wait for him. Upon the innkeeper's inquiring whither the horses were to go, Mr. Falkland replied, To St. Albans. The man objected to the length of the stage, and named Barnet. Mr. Falkland seemed impatient and angry. His unusual earnestness, his wild looks, and the road he purposed taking alarmed his servant, a discreet elderly man and he had the prudence immediately to dispatch the master of the house whom he prevailed on by a piece of gold to go directly to my brother with this intelligence he had the precaution not to mention his master's name only bade him find out sir george biddulph and tell him that his friend was set out for st albans and that his man had dispatched him with the news and would if possible endeavour to detain him on the road that sir george might overtake him the man was punctual in delivering his message my brother wild with amazement and horror just called as he passed my door to tell me this new and unexpected misfortune Mr. Warner had that instant come in to inquire what had passed between Mr. Falkland and me in our interview this morning. 
I had no time to tell him anything. He looked very much displeased at my brother and me upon hearing Mr. Falkland was gone, but said he would accompany Sir George, and they both hurried away together. The man said Mr. Falkland had set off before he could leave his house, the servant having scarce time to give him the message. I fear it will be impossible for my brother to overtake him. He will be lost for ever. What then will be my portion? Happy had it been for me indeed, as my dear mother once said in the bitterness of her heart, that I had died in my cradle. Tuesday night, twelve o'clock. Heaven be praised they are returned, all returned. Mr. Falkland has been prevailed on to come back. Mr. Warner has prevailed on him. He has saved his life. But, my Cecilia, thy friend's temporal happiness and peace of mind is the only price that could ransom this desperate, self-devoted victim. Mr. Warner has bound himself by a solemn oath that I should become his wife, or Mr. Falkland, determined on his own destruction, would, spite of all they could do, have pursued his fatal journey to Ireland in order to deliver himself up to justice. It was near ten o'clock before they returned to town. My brother carried Mr. Falkland back to the gentleman's house where he was before lodged, and my kinsman left them together in order to come and give me an account of what had passed. He said the gentleman at whose house he was lodged by my brother was extremely surprised to see him again, Mr. Falkland having with great composure taken his leave of him in the morning, and after thanking him for the shelter he had afforded him, told him he was going out of town. My brother and my kinsman overtook him above a mile on this side of St. Albans, for which success they were entirely indebted to the prudence of the servant who attended him for the poor man finding him pushing on with the utmost eagerness, and Mr. Falkland no longer making a secret of his intention of returning to Ireland, resolved at all events to prevent his ruin, and hoping that by a little delay Sir George might overtake them, contrived at their first stage so dexterously to slip a nail in between the horse's shoe and his hoof, that he knew he could not go far without being lame. This succeeded so well that the poor animal was soon disabled, and Mr. Falkland, not having it in his power to mount himself better, was obliged to go on at a very easy rate, till they arrived at the next stage. Mr. Warner and my brother overtook him in this situation. Sir George knew him as soon as they came in sight of him, and followed him at a proper distance, still keeping him in view, till he lighted at the post-house. They then at once entered the room into which he had retired while fresh horses were getting ready. Mr. Falkland started at the sight of my brother. He looked earnestly at Mr. Warner, whom he had never seen before, but spoke not to either of them. Sir George, pursued my kinsman, accosted him affectionately. Dear Falkland, was this kind of you thus to fly from your friends that love you? He presented me to him at the same time, naming me as his relation. Mr. Falkland grasped the hand which I reached out in salutation to him. He fixed his fine sparkling eyes on my face. Is it Mr. Warner whom I have the honour to salute? Sir, I am no stranger to your worth, 
i honour i revere you you are too good to interest yourself thus for an unhappy wretch cast off and forsaken by all the world do i forsake you falkland cried your brother kindly enough no falkland i am your constant sincere friend and will prove myself so if you will but let me mr falkland made no reply dear falkland am i not your friend you are mrs arnold's brother you are not the man you were indeed falkland i am i am your true friend suffer me to be so come back with me mr warner and i have followed you in the hope of prevailing on you to return with us do falkland let us persuade you to preserve a life so dear to us all what am i to live for answered mr falkland sternly you have tried to deceive me the man i loved most now i am fallen rejects me your sister persists in her obstinate cruelty towards me she breaks her promise and you encourage her in it i have neither friends fortune or country and do you talk to me of life on such conditions no bidolf it is a burden of which i will rid myself mr warner you are a generous man you have an enlarged mind may a stranger ask a favour of you i could have wept continued my kinsman to see such a frank noble fellow driven to such desperation i command me sir i replied there is nothing i would not do to serve you thank you sir i have a little son let me recommend the unhappy orphan to your protection he will soon want a father will you be one to him sir i will send him over to you he lay hold of my hand and repeated his question will you mr warner you have an enlarged mind and do not despise the unfortunate i cried downright he touched me to the very quick i never was so affected in my life and i own i was heartily displeased both with you and your brother for driving him to such extremities you especially on whom i laid injunctions to act in a contrary way as for sir george i am not surprised at his behaviour from mr falkland's discourse proceeded my kinsman it was apparent to me that his distraction proceeded from no other cause than his belief that you and your brother slighted him in his misfortunes it was plain when he fled to england that he was sufficiently in his senses to be anxious for his own safety and though the sight of you joined to the hurry of his spirits his fatigue and want of sleep might in a man of such violent passions have created a temporary frenzy yet i am very certain it would all have subsided if you had behaved to him as you ought to have done and as i desired you would nor do i see how you can answer it to yourself after the miseries you have already brought on such a glorious man for i never saw his equal either in mind or person to persist in a behaviour which has already turned his brain and must in the end occasion his death for death he is determined on if you refuse to become his wife 
"'Oh, sir,' cried I, "'leave him not to himself, I conjure you. "'You see the influence you have over his mind. "'You have done wonders in bringing him back.' "'Hold,' replied Mr. Warner, "'till I inform you of the means I was obliged to use.' I have told you how I was affected with his situation, and the request he made me to take care of his child. This was not the suggestion of madness. It was plain to me that if the cause were removed, he would soon be restored to the perfect use of his reason, and I could not bear to see the desolation of such a noble frame, and all charged to your account." "'Sir, I hope you do not mean,' said I, "'to return to Ireland. "'Do you not know the risk that you run "'by putting yourself into the power of an exasperated family "'from whom you can expect nothing "'but the most malevolent persecution?' "'I deliver myself up to the laws,' replied Mr. Falkland. "'My life is devoted. "'Tis indifferent to me how I die.' "'Suppose,' said I, "'Mrs. Arnold should consent to marry you. "'Would not that reconcile you to life?' "'Oh, sir,' and he shook his head, "'I am not to be deceived twice.' "'Your brother walked about the room "'without taking part in the conversation.' "'I do mean it, sir. "'Mrs. Arnold must be yours. "'I can influence her. "'Do but return back with me.' I give you my honour, I will do my utmost to prevail on her, to give you her hand immediately. Her heart is hardened, sir, she will not consent, replied he. I have no friend to urge her, I am an outcast and not fit to live. I will urge her, sir, she respects me, she will be guided by me, she shall fulfil the promise she made you. Oh, sir, you but deceive yourself she will find out new excuses i am not to be again allured by false hopes he stepped towards the door as he spoke these words and was about to open it your brother followed and laid hold of his arm i did the same sir george said he expose me not to insults why do you persecute me leave me sir i am not a madman but i am determined, and he spoke it as if he were indeed so. "'For heaven's sake, Falkland,' said your brother, "'be composed. You have Mr. Warner's word of honour. You shall have mine too, that we will do our utmost to persuade Mrs. Arnold to consent to your wishes. You have my full consent. You have won Mr. Warner to your interest. My sister will yield to our joint entreaties.' yield he repeated no no sir george she has a stubborn heart i once thought it otherwise but it is turned to stone nothing but my death will satisfy her and she shall be satisfied he made an effort to break from us stay mr falkland said i again laying hold of his hand and I here swear to you, by everything that is sacred, that if you will suffer me to conduct you back into Mrs. Arnold's presence, I will insist on her immediately accepting of you for her husband, or I will for ever renounce all friendship with her. 
i know she esteems and values you above all men i am therefore sure i do no violence to her inclinations and if she perseveres in her obstinate punctilios i swear to you by the same other that i will no longer oppose you in your resolutions let them be what they will sir george added i do you join me in giving your friend the same assurances i do answered he solemnly addressing himself to mr falkland and swear by all my hopes of happiness hereafter to act in conjunction with mr warner in every particular as he has promised mr falkland seemed to be moved he looked wistfully at us by turns as if willing though unafraid to yield to our entreaties at length i think i may rely on you said he you will not break an oath to sir george but that woman has such an inflexible heart you cannot change that we will do our utmost we both answered together remember then said he stretching out a hand to each of us you have sworn if she persists in her resolution that you will leave me to myself and oppose me no longer we have i will go back with you then cried mr falkland and stepped again nimbly to the door it will be best said i if we can hire a coach to carry us there is no necessity for our riding post and we should be less liable to observation than if we were on horseback mr falkland looked as if he suspected some design do you not mean said he to go directly back to london certainly i replied and shall i see mrs arnold to-night without doubt if you desire it let us go then said he i think a coach is a tedious way of travelling but i submit to your guidance End of section forty three